Hello and welcome to the Flathead Beacon Podcast. My name is Andy Viano. This week, I'll be joined by the newest member of our team, staff writer Micah Drew, to talk about the June 17th cover story, Next Steps, about a pair of vaunted distance runners who are embarking on the next phase of their careers as professionals. You can read Micah's story in the Flathead Beacon that's on newsstands now. Pick it up from one of our yellow boxes throughout Northwest Montana, or you can read it free online at flatheadbeacon.com. And when you're done with Micah's story, check out all the rest of our award-winning coverage on our website, which remains free to visit with no subscription required and no paywall limiting your access. And we're able to keep all of that content free of charge because of the generous support of our members who've signed up to be part of the Beacon Editors Club at beaconeditorsclub.com. If you have as little as five bucks a month to spare, sign up at beaconeditorsclub.com today to help sustain our locally focused, independently owned brand of journalism well into the future. Stay tuned to the end of today's episode for a quick recap of the week's top stories. But now, here's this week's featured conversation. And I'm joined now by Beacon staff writer Micah Drew. We're going to talk a bit about his fantastic cover story this week called Next Steps. Um, but Micah, thank you so much for taking some time to, to join me up here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Andy. So I want to talk a lot about the story. It's a fascinating read. It's a, it's a couple of people whose careers we in, in the Flathead Valley have been following for a long time. But before I do that, you are the newest member of the Beacon staff. It has been wonderful to uh, get you on board and, and get to know you so far. But for our readers and for the folks listening to this, can you, can you give them the brief, the brief bio? Where, uh, where did you come from? How did you get here? Yeah, uh, I'm super excited to be joining the staff. It's been a, a good first couple weeks. I'm originally from Boise, Idaho. Um, I went to the University of Montana, so I graduated from the journalism school there. I worked at a couple papers in Montana, mostly small weeklies. And then most recently, I've been back actually in Boise doing graduate work in a completely unrelated field before I decided I needed to get back in a newsroom. And this was the one that uh, worked out perfectly. Let's talk about Next Steps, your cover story this week on McKenna Morley and Zach Perrin, former University of Colorado runners who are uh, originally from the Flathead Valley. And I mentioned earlier that for folks who follow sports here or follow the, the distance running scene, which is pretty large, they know those two names. But for people who don't, who are McKenna and Zach? So Zach and McKenna are two of, if not uh, the most successful runners to come out of the area um, over the last couple years. Between the two of them, they have probably a dozen or so um, state cross-country and track titles from when Zach was at Flathead High School and when McKenna uh, ran for Big Fork. And then McKenna went on to the University of Montana for a cross-country season and then ran at the University of Colorado, um, where she was usually running in the top of the national scene. I think she had a top 10 finish at the uh, national championships in cross-country one year, as well as top 10 finishes in track. Zach Perrin, also at Colorado, was a phenomenal runner. Um, he is a member of the elite sub-four-minute mile club, which, for people who don't know, is, is very fast. Um, so the two of them have been competing at the very high level for many, many years now. Yeah, and that program at the University of Colorado is, is one of the best in the country, right? It is. It is. It's one of the most successful over the last 20, 20 odd years. Um, both Zach and McKenna uh, were on national championship teams at Colorado in cross country. 
Uh, Zach, I believe in 2013, uh, was on a team that won nationals. And then McKenna, her last year uh, running for Colorado in 2018, uh, they won the national championship as well. Both are done with their college careers now and turning to professional running. And I think maybe that's another area where people aren't quite as familiar. How, how does one go about making a career out of, out of running as a professional, as at least McKenna, uh, it sounds like, is, is preparing to do? So, so she is. It is, it is kind of difficult um, and kind of complex, a little more so than other professional sports stars you might be more familiar with, where you just hear that a, a team signs an athlete for millions and millions of dollars, and that's, that's the end of the discussion. With running, there's, there's a lot more nuance. There's a number of companies, uh, running shoe companies between Nike and Asics and Brooks and others you may have heard of that will sponsor individual athletes or teams of athletes. And so someone who's looking to go professional on the running scene will usually start negotiating with a company like that, trying to get a shoe contract or an apparel contract, as well as looking for coaches and teams that they can train with um, and train under. And then in addition to that, because running is a sport that does not pay perhaps as well as many others, a lot of the way that a professional runner makes their makes their living is off of off of their race results. So Anyone who's a professional runner has to perform well, um, either make Olympic teams or world championship teams or place high enough in road races or marathons or whatever their event is in order to, to make a living that way. And I think the one story that, that you share in there about McKenna from this past cross-country season that, that sort of caught my eye is a race that she was running in and finished, I believe, second among professionals. And won $10,000, or at least would have been able to keep $10,000 were she not trying to maintain her college eligibility. That, to me, was a larger sum, I think, than I expected. Is that, is that a typical amount that, that someone can take home from a race like that? Yeah, in, in the road racing world. So, so professional runners can, can go a couple different ways. They can either be professional runners on the track, um, which is what you'd see more often in the Olympics and stuff like that, or they can be on the roads um, up to the marathon or into these shorter races. And a lot of these shorter races, especially the bigger ones, um, serve as either USA championships for obscure distances you've never heard of, like 25 kilometers or the 10-mile championship she ran. And those tend to come with pretty sizable prize purses. Um, so she got to run one road race. It was the Twin Cities 10-mile championship in Minnesota last year because she wasn't doing cross-country. And yeah, she finished second against a very good field, and because it was a USA championship, it came with that prize money that she had to turn down at the time because she was still an amateur athlete. But that is a big portion of how she will be making her living um, in the future. What are her realistic prospects? And I know that's a, that's a tough question going forward because you write in the article about you know having reasonable shot to to win a division one national championship were she uh to have been able to compete during the track season which uh you know the championship's getting canceled because of the coronavirus i mean you talk about the olympics and national championships is is mckenna on that level or, or do people around her believe she can get to that level where she can be competing for for things like uh, spots on the olympic team yeah they definitely do i've had some conversations with the coach that she's been working with and and they're very, very excited about her prospects. They think that she could be the the top person on the team that she's joining, um, which already has very, very high level athletes that have national championships under their belt. So so that's exciting to hear. Talking with McKenna, she's the school record holder in the 10,000 meter at Colorado, um, which, as you mentioned, is, is a very good school. So 
being a school record holder at all means you're an elite company with Olympians there. Her best time in that event, which is run in the Olympics, is is about 45 seconds to a minute off of a time she would need to make an Olympic team. However, you know, everybody improves year to year and with maturity, she's definitely on that direction and odds are she will be much closer next year and she will likely qualify for the Olympic trials and be at least making a shot at the team. On the roads, she's looking to move up to the marathon eventually, um, potentially this year, potentially down the road. And in that, she definitely has the talent and ability to debut in under two hours and 30 minutes, which uh, as a female marathoner, that would put her um, among the top 10 in the country, um, which again would would then put her in place to make Olympic teams in the future. I don't want to shortchange uh, Zach in this conversation either, where uh, the the other part of that uh, that power running couple where where is Zach at with his career right now so Zach and I mentioned in the article has had kind of an up and down uh rocky bit to his running since he graduated from the University of Colorado he's done a little bit of racing he's thought about going to ultra trail racing and running 50 milers um he's done some stuff on the roads running half marathons and briefly entertained trying to qualify for the Olympic trials through the half marathon but really he's just been trying to get consistent um get his footing under him and get back to being fit with a with a coach that he trusts and thinks can train him well and he found that he's working remotely with a coach based out of idaho right now but talent wise zach is very impressive as a runner i mean he is a sub four minute miler that alone does not put him in the national conversation in that event but moving up in in distances he's definitely closer and closer to the to the elite fields in the nation. He's qualified for USA championships before in the 5,000. Um, and he thinks he has a lot of room to improve there. So an Olympic trials appearance in the 5,000 meters is not out of the question, uh, next summer. Um, and then if he decides to move to the roads, he could have a future there as well. And, uh, could be picking up the prize money there, which is never a bad way to go about it. Sure. (laughs) I'd be remiss too, if I didn't ask you before letting you go about, uh, their relationship. They are a couple without, uh, you know, you don't need to delve into to too many personal details, but how how did they connect in, in that way? And, and certainly uh, people who've, who've known each other and come from the same area, I imagine, for, for quite some time. Yeah. So, I mean, they're, I, I know many runners um, being one myself, and they're definitely the fastest couple that I uh, have been privileged enough to, to know and run with. Um, and it's just very impressive seeing two competitive athletes of that caliber um, manage to, I would say, kind of balance each other out. For being those high-level competitive people, they also seem to kind of, they're able to, you know, control each other's feelings and emotions and keep each other kind of reined in during stressful races and stuff like that, um, which is very important for being a high-level athlete. But yeah, they, they grew up knowing each other um, just because they raced uh, at the same level in high school. And I remember, McKenna might be embarrassed to hear this, but I remember many, many years ago when she was at the University of Montana briefly, I asked her about her transfer to Colorado. um, And she mentioned that there was a a blonde boy from across the lake that she was very excited to be teammates with. So it's definitely been uh, uh, just kind of in the making since they were growing up. My God, that's a great place to end it. Thank you so much for uh, for the time and great work on the story this week. (laughs) Thank you so much. And remember, if you haven't done so already, you can read Next Steps, Micah's fabulous cover story, in the June 17th edition of the Flathead Beacon, 
or catch it online at flatheadbeacon.com. Now, here are the biggest stories from the past seven days in the Flathead Valley as of 4 p.m. on Tuesday, June 16th. Flathead County has confirmed two positive cases of COVID-19 in the last week, the first two positive tests here in more than two months. The first new case, reported on Saturday, June 13th, involved a person with no recent travel history, according to the Flathead City County Health Department. The cases in Flathead County come amid a minor surge in confirmed cases statewide. Montana added 37 new cases last weekend, including four on the Flathead Indian Reservation. More than 600 people have tested positive for the coronavirus in Montana, and 19 have died. Eight people are currently hospitalized because of the virus. Despite the modest rise in cases, the state of Montana is continuing to gradually reopen an inch closer to life as usual. Glacier National Park, which reopened on June 8th, opened additional access points and segments of Going to the Sun Road on June 15th. The park was closed for more than two months, and crowds have streamed into Glacier during the last week, providing a boost to local businesses, but worrying those concerned about a resurgence of COVID-19 in northwest Montana. In Kalispell, many businesses and government services are fully operational, but as of today, that does not include the Flathead County Motor Vehicle Department. That office is fully staffed, but because of the way it's designed, the lobby is closed and services are being provided by whatever means necessary, including phone, mail, or email. The state has granted a 90-day extension for vehicles purchased after March 16th to complete a title transfer, but employees have still been forced to work long hours and customers are experiencing long wait times. The department hopes to reopen its lobby soon, perhaps when the state enters phase three of its reopening. Elsewhere, a federal appeals court on Tuesday issued a decision preserving the sacred Badger II medicine area next to Glacier National Park, at least for the time being. The Louisiana-based oil and gas company that owned rights to drill in the area since the 1980s saw that lease canceled by the Department of the Interior in 2016 and then sued to have it reinstated. Since then, the issue has been ensnared in the court system, with a lower district court ruling in favor of the company before the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia vacated that ruling on Tuesday, remanding the case back to the lower court. The decision is a major victory for conservationists, sportsmen, and members of the Blackfeet Nation. A Blackfeet historian on Tuesday said that the 130,000-acre Badger II Medicine area is essential to the cultural survival of the Blackfeet. Also Tuesday, a Bozeman man who illegally landed his helicopter in the Bob Marshall Wilderness last month has been fined $500 for the infraction, the maximum amount allowed under federal law. Samuel and Sarah Schwerin were spotted by a man on horseback in the South Fork of the Flathead River on May 16th, and that man later filed a report with the U.S. Forest Service. The Schwerins apologized for the incident via a public relations firm in late May, saying they believed they had landed the helicopter outside of the wilderness area's boundary. Federal law prohibits landing an aircraft in a designated wilderness area. And finally, a second officer-involved shooting claimed the life of a suspect last week. 
when a man accused of a Kalispell homicide led deputies from the Flathead County Sheriff's Office down Montana Highway 35 through Woods Bay. After his vehicle was disabled by spike strips, the man Richard Mason fired at deputies who returned fire, killing him. That shooting occurred 16 days after Anthony Grove was killed by deputies following a standoff at his Kyla home. Prior to that incident, the Flathead County Sheriff's Office had not been involved in a fatal shooting since March of 2007. Both deaths remain under investigation. That's all for today, but one final reminder that to get the latest breaking news, read all of our in-depth stories, and get caught up on your favorite Beacon podcasts, visit flatheadbeacon.com. Until next week, thanks for listening.